Um, it's pretty cool. We use these most every week. I, I've got some more. I'm going to pe- pass them out. You got someone to share? Oh, thank you. You're, oh, you're welcome. Wait a second. I've got more ready. Toss it. Woo. Hey, good John. Anybody else? There's one in the back over there. Jen, take this back row, girl in the green shirt, back row. Thanks, sir. Excuse me. All right. Hey, I am excited um, to be here tonight. It's been, seems like forever since I've gotten to sort of speak and to share. Uh, It's not excited about because I don't think I'm a fantastic speaker or gifted and uh, amazing in what I have to say. But I do know that um, what I am going to teach about in the Word of God that we use and we talk about has so much power in it that we barely ever tap into. So the opportunity for us just to get back into it as a group. And I hope, I hope you know, it's been almost a month for some of you since we've been at camp. And I hope some of you have tapped into it more on your own time. You've got to start to learn to do that, especially now that school starts. And some, some of you say, well, boy, you just don't understand. I'm busy. I just don't have time. And dude, we've got time. We've always got time for something that's important to us, even when it's hard. And I understand getting in the Word every day is hard, um, and you've got to fight to stay on top of it. We're going to talk, talk about that some, but before we talk, let's just pray together. Okay, so let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much uh, for each one here, each home represented in this place. And Lord, we just ask um, for your wisdom. We need your wisdom. We need your Holy Spirit to speak to us. Lord, we ask for you just to enlighten the text, prepare our hearts. Lord, help us to be receptive, wear down the walls that we put up and the things we, we put up that get in the way. And Lord, may we hear your voice. And may it just may they not hear a broken servant who can't talk right, but may they even just hear you and what you have to say. I thank you for each one here. I thank you for the chance to be here and to just talk about your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, I've got a story about my dad. Is that all right if I tell a story about my dad? Is that all right? Dad, dad story time. I may, I may have shared this way back. I don't remember if I did or didn't. Um, and I'm getting older now, so even if I did, just, just nod and act like it's something new, okay? Everybody go go, go like this, Dalton. No, you just stay quiet there, young one. My dad and I, when I was 12 years old, went fishing at a place called Lake George. Lake George is part of the St. John's River, south, about 75 miles south of Jacksonville. Okay, so we we went out in the boat. We actually camped out in this boat. Uh, It had a, a... a soft, soft cover, so we're going to be in Lake George for a few days. We're going to wade fish, just me, me and my dad. I was pretty pumped about it. Uh, and so we went down there. Who here has been to Lake, Lake, Lake George before? Salt Springs is right by it. It attaches to it. If you've been to Salt Springs, it attaches to it, so you sort of know where it's at. In the, okay, hands down, in, the, in the, the middle of the state. Well, a lot of Lake George is very sh- shallow, not as in a foot deep, but it's about four feet or five feet. So you, when you go to Lake George, there's a lot of fish, and you wade fish when you are in Lake George a lot of times. You're not in the boat. You just walk around. At least that's what we did back in the day. I'm talking 30 years ago. I hate to say that, but yes, way back in the day. Way back in the day. That's what we used to do. So my dad said, all right, son, let's, let's, let's fish. And it's about waist deep on him, a little bit more on me uh, than, than that. It's about, about to hear, and we're, we're, we're fishing now. We've got a boat, and he's taken a rope. It's about 100 feet long, and he's tied the rope around his waist so that wherever we go, the boat, he'll just drag the boat along so we don't have to 
hike back to it when we're done. And so we're fishing. And as I'm fishing, I notice this, this, this log that floats up. Sort of off from us. The boat's back here. We're walking, and there's this, this log. Well, I look, and I go, man, that's not, not, not a log. It was an a- a- alligator. And I went, ooh. And so my dad was sort of far away, so I didn't say nothing because, you know, I'm 12, man. I'm a man. You know, so I'm trying to act cool. So I sort of ease more by my dad, you know, because you know, that's what you do when you're scared, but you don't want to act like you're scared. So I'm sort of, he's like, so why don't you go over there? I think there's some fish around. I'm like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Well, I look around, and there's like four more. All of a sudden, I see four more. Foom, foom, foom. And they're from here to a little bit past the back wall there. Okay, so they're sort of close. And so I say, uh, Dad, there's some, some alligators out there. And he goes, oh, son, it'll be all right. Just keep on fishing. So I'm like, okay. So I'm looking around. This time, you know, my eyes are this wide. I'm looking like this. And no lie, I counted 15 of them around us. And as I turned around, between us and the boat, there was like four of them. They were going in for the kill. I mean, it was bad. I mean, so at that point, I said, Dad, Dad, Dad. I stuttered back then, too. And so I don't know how it came out, but it came out really bad, probably. Uh, there's, there's between us the boat. And he said, hey, hey, son, son, just keep fishing. They're more scared of you than you are of them. I'm thinking, no, they're not. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to dump in my drawers. What are you talking about? They're more scared. I don't see them pooping. You know? And so he said, ah, it'll be all right. And I remember at 12 thinking to myself, I'm going to die. I'm just going to die. It's going to be eaten by a gator. And I guess it's good enough I'm going to die with my dad. If I'm going to die anywhere, I'd just die with my dad. And I knew I was going to. And so we just kept on fishing. The gators never pounced on us, though I was sure I was a goner. I remember thinking, it's over. Okay, why are we fishing? This is stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I don't remember if we caught anything or not. And, uh, you know, when it was done, we got back in the boat and we went on home. And, you know, it's funny because I, I, I really remember as 12 thinking, I, I'm gone. This is it. Dad, I already warned Dad twice. Dad said, man up, son, you're fine. They're scared of you. Okay, and I just thought, I'll just die with my dad. And, uh, you know, thinking my last will and testament and all that. All that. <clears throat> and I got to a spot, I was at a spot, even at 12, I thought I was going to die, but I was going to stay with my dad because my dad said, hey, son, it's going to be all right. Though I had doubts in my head that my dad was right, I was still going to stick it out with him. And you know what? Can I tell you? The Word of God, in the Word it talks about God being our Father all the time. And just as I'm in a walking in waters with alligators all around, thinking I'm going to die, in life you're going to live this life out where you're studying the Word, the Word of God, and you're at school or you're at work or you're in life, and there's bad stuff all around. And there's a point when you've got to ask yourself, am I going to trust God the Father or not? And man... Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you even think, okay, God, if you want us to do this, we'll do it. But we're going to die. I'm going to die. And I'll tell you, um, you know, I shared this past week, we're, we're in the process to adopt again. Okay, we're just, oh, I don't know what we're, th- we're thinking. We're crazy. And it's one of those things where God has spoken to us about it continuously for almost a year. And so we're finally, okay, God, we're going to die, but we're, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And so... I, as we study the Word of God t- t- 
together for this school year, my hope is this, that you will just learn to trust God even when he says things that, that, that doesn't make sense. What do you mean they're more scared of me than, than I am of them? That doesn't make any sense. That was the stupidest thing I'd ever heard at the time as a 12-year-old. But, you know, my dad said it, so I, all right, I guess I'll believe it. I'll trust him. So we're on, So what, even what we learned tonight, talk about tonight, I want you to go, you know what? God may say to you, you know what? You need to stretch pretty far from where you've been. And you might go, that makes no sense at all. But if God continues to speak to your heart about it, my challenge for you is to follow him, to trust him, okay? So let me start with the message tonight. That was just a little freebie. Y'all are like, wow, that was amazing. Um, and, right? Okay, maybe not. Don't, just, just lie to me right now. It's okay. Now... Who here has ever met a leper? Anybody ever met a live leper? Before? You know what a leper is? Not a leopard. A leper. A lot of sores and stuff? That's exactly right. It was actually a disease from way back, and it still exists today. A lot of times we think, oh, it doesn't exist today. It does exist today. In America, it doesn't. It's been sort of wiped pretty much clean. I may be off of that, but for the most part, it's wiped clean from here. But around the world, it, it still exists. It's a disease, and I don't, get, I don't know this right, but I know what occurs. But somehow, circulation begins to fail in your extremities of your body so that your fingers begin just to fall off. They get sores, and they, get, they, they fall off you, you, your, your nose, and ears just, just fall off. The blood flow doesn't get to them. It, your toes, feet can just begin to fall off. It's a, d- d- a disease that has no cure. At the time, which we're going to read about in, in Luke here, we're going to be in, in the book of Luke chapter seven, 17, and Luke, at the time, if you were a leper, if you came down with it, and it, was, it came, if you had a sore and a, a leper t- t- touched you and they had it on their hand, you could get it like that. So le- 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 lepers were not allowed to live with everybody else in a household. If you became one, you were kicked out of the house and you were kicked out of the city and you lived outside the gates of the city. And you lived with a group of lepers because you could all live together because no one else is going to get it again. You've already got it and your body is decaying with no hope at this point. So you would be ostracized. You'd be thrown out from the rest of the crew and you had to live the rest of your days um, as your bodies began to fail with other lepers. Your family disowned you and you had just to beg to survive for the rest of your life. If you walked into where if a crowd came around you, you had to keep, you would wear stuff to sort of clothing that would keep you hidden because you were grotesque. And if they walked near you, you would yell, unclean, unclean, because that's what you were. And folks would know, go get away from him because I might get something. A leper, it was an awful thing. It exists today. I am, now they can manage it and slow it down, but it still exists today where you will die from it if you live long enough. When I was in Tanzania on a mission trip, this is in East Africa, 20 year, years ago, I met I, a, 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 lep, a, lep, a, lep, a leper who was in the church, one of the, the, the churches, one of the last days that we went to. And this guy, his, his fingers were gone, half his hands were gone. He had no nose. His feet, it was just disgusting. Um, and he had them wrap, wrapped up some. But we were in church, sort of like what we were in. And we were just singing songs, sort of like what we were just doing now. And I've never seen joy on a face before, like I saw in the leper 
in Africa that was singing praise songs to God because he knew who Jesus was and he had changed and transformed at least the inside of his life. The outside of his body was decaying just like all all of ours are at their own pace. But I'd never seen um, a light and a joy. And I thought, dude, how can he have so much joy when he's falling apart? It's just gross. But he knows who Christ is. He knows who he is. It was just a lesson for me at that time as a 20-year-old guy to go, man, I don't have any right to complain about anything. I can't complain about the way I talk, the, the way I look, what I do. You know, so I've, I've met them. I just want you to know that they're real. Look here in Luke 17 because we're going to talk a story. I've given you some background about, about them, and I want you to hear the story on, on who they are. Luke 17, verse 11 says this, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus tra- traveled along the border between Samar- Samaria and Gal- 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 Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had le- le- leprosy met him. Okay? Ten men, it's sort of a group. They've become friends because no one else will be their friend. And it says um, they stood at a distance. They could not come close to him. They stood at a distance. And they said and called out in a loud voice, Jesus... Master, have pity on us. Verse 14 says, When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, that, that, that means that, that their, their bodies were made whole. The sores were gone. The disease was gone. And they were healed like that. When he just said, Go and show yourself to the priest. Because if someone was in question if they had it or not, they would go to the priest and have to prove the priest that they didn't. They have to show and be marked clean. Um, if they had touched a leper, that didn't mean they had gotten it, but after a week or two, they would have to go to the priest to prove that they had not got it so they could come back into the camp. So that was a normal thing. They knew what that meant. And all he says is, go show yourself to the priest. And as they went, as they turned and as they went, they were changed. They were healed like that. Amazing miracle because this disease cannot be cured. In verse 15 it says this, note, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, was not all ten cleansed? Do you think he knew if all ten were cleansed? I think he probably did. He's God incarnate. We're not, and, and where are the other nine? We can see that Jesus was good at math here. In verse 18, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. There's something I want to talk about tonight, and there's one word that I may have to teach you. Um, Some of you may know, but the first word is complacency. Complacency. Who here thinks they know what complacency means? I'm not going to make you stand up and spout it out. I just want to know if some people think they know it. Okay, complacency. Who knows what apathy means? Someone's apathetic. Have you ever heard that phrase before? All right. This is what complacency means. It means I'm just lazy. I'm just, I'm just not going to do it just because I just don't feel like it. When someone's like that, they go, well, I could have gotten into Word, but, you know, I just wanted to watch movies and eat bonbons, you know, so I just didn't have time. That's comp- complacent. They're not making good use of their time. They're, they're just going, oh, yeah, you know, it's just not a big deal. And so we're talking about 
One thing, because complacency is where Christians live most of the time. Most American Christians are, if they're believers at all, they're compl- compl- complacent. Well, you know, if I've got time to read the Bible, I'll, I'll get to it. But if not, well, that means you're complacent. You're just a slacker. Everybody got that? Does that mix in? Is that a word that y'all use? Slacker or am I too past? That is what? I've heard of it. Oh, well, thank you for... Thank you. That was good. No, you did good. So, <clears throat> we're talking about... Because see, what I want to you to look at this story, because what we see are, is one guy that does the right thing, right? If someone helps you out, what should you do? If someone changes your life and transforms your life, what should you do? If you were in a condition of no hope where disease ravaged your body and you, um, you had no hope at all, and all of a sudden this one man who you go, hey, can you help us? And he heals you completely. What should you do? Would you just say, hey, thank you, sir. I, pr- I appreciate it. And, and go? Or would you be like, holy cow, what just happened? This is a ama- Right? Would, would, you not be, um, would you not be stunned? Yes or no? Okay, I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I immediately take this story and I put it into my own personal story of, of my salvation story, of me being apart from Christ in my decayed condition. Because it says, no one, in, in Romans 3, it says, no one is right, 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 righteous, not one. Not one person on this earth. For all sin falls short of the glory of God. We're all sinful. Our hearts are dark. dark. That is all we know. We're just like a, a leper in their diseased condition. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. And He comes in. And, and we're at the state going, I know I'm in bad shape. And He says, go show yourself to the priest. And as we turn to go, as we begin to follow Him and trust Him, He transforms our life. He saves us. Are any of you thankful for that, of what Jesus Christ has done in your life? Because let me tell you something. You look complacent from here. Even your attitude towards that. And I know I'm just a guy that's speaking about it, and I've read about this all week. I understand completely. And not all of you are in that boat, but some of you go, yeah, yeah, he changed my life. Yeah, yeah, I was in that shape. And if that's the way you really think on the inside, because I can't see your inside. But if that's what, yeah, yeah, he did it. Yeah, I, I pray the prayer. I, I put my faith in him. It's all good now. You're, you, you missed it. You, know, you don't understand your lostness. You don't understand your need for him. And you really have to go, okay, do I really understand the gift that he gave? Because out of the, the ten lepers, one of them came back and he said, came back praising God and thanked him and said, oh, God, you are awesome. God, give the glory and praise to God. I was lost. You've saved me. You've helped me. And this is some of the points I want you to understand. If you don't want to be complacent in your life and you want to have a committed life, because either really the choice is to live a complacent life, one that's just sort of, yeah, it's all good. Yeah, yeah. Or a committed life saying, God, I will follow you wherever you lead. The difference, one of them, there's three I'm going to talk about tonight. The One of the three is this. Re- remember from where you've come. Remember from where you've come. Remember your life before Christ, before believing in Christ, before trusting in Christ, and just know who you are. When you say, okay, what do I think every day? I know that there's thoughts even with Christ doing work in my life right now. Man, I'm so far off. I get jealous. I get mean. I get hateful. 
I lust, I struggle, I, greed grips me. And think of that without Christ in your life at all. And we're, we're so lost. So the first thing is, is remember from where you've come. We just sing a song. Into marvelous light I am running. What's the next line? Out of darkness, out of shame. Okay? Where, where we, even when we sing that song, do you understand it's talking about how we came out of darkness? That we were enemies of God, bound for hell because we deserved it, because we chose sin and hell over God and, and, and holy. Remember from where you've come. <clears throat> I want you to see something else about this complacency to commitment. Um, the road to commitment is lonely. Okay, let me share this again, because this is not an encouraging message. We have 55, 60 in this room right now. Um, the, the odds are, four years from now, six of you are really going to be fighting, pursuing Christ, giving your all in this room. I think we can beat those odds. I think as we study and teach the Word and as we strive, I, I'm not going to settle for those. That, that's, that is an average room that you go into. We're supposed to be... Our goal as a church, even here, and what we teach, and, and for God's help, is for that we, we won't settle for that, but we will have a, a mass of students, a mass of adults at celebration who will seek after God, who will run after Him. And But I want you to understand, as you walk in school, and you're going, okay, complacency or commitment, do I stand up? Do I speak about my faith? Do I do anything? Can I tell you you're going to be alone some of the time? Not all the time. But a lot of the time, it says in um, Matthew 7, I think I've got the verse there, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. And then it goes on to say, For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Man, some, just some... And the question is, has, has God... Has he wrecked your life enough to where you go, man, that, that's what I'm going to go at, go at, after is that. And I'm not going to settle for complacency. It's easy to live in complacency. Do what you want to do. Live the way that you want to live. I go to church, so I go to two, two, two times a week. Two times a week, I'm at church. I've got it down. That's just a complacent life. We, we just miss out. And an in, in, interesting point here... Um, the 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 leper that came back, right? One came back of of how big was the group, and one came back um, of the one that came came back. He was a Samaritan. It says it says that these guys were found at a, a spot which was between Galilee and Samaria. So right there, so it was sort of in between. This one guy was a Samaritan. Seems to imply the rest of them were were all Jews that had go and of. Of the only one that comes back, see, if you're a, a leper, you're an outcast. If you're a Samaritan, you're an outcast without being a leper. If you're a leper who's a Samaritan, you're way outcast. You are way disgusting. You are way lower class. You are, you are not important at all. And it's interesting that the lowest of the low is the one that comes back praising God. Thanking God. Another interesting, which I just almost relate, is that you've got nine that were Jews that had learned the Torah as, as kids, that understood the law, understood what was right and wrong, and, and, and understood who God was and to praise God and give Him honor and glory. Nine of them knew it that were quote-unquote churched. 
Nine, nine of them were church. One of them was not. And the only one that came back was the one that was not. And sometimes I think for some of that grow up in church that, that you just sort of just, just buy into the complacent life. need to change that word, don't I? It's about to kill me. I was doing good for a while. But you buy into that complacent life, and I don't know why. I think it's, it's just sort of been taught in church. It's sort of, that's just what you do. But for the person that's outside the church that comes in, sometimes there's an advantage for them because they know what, what lostness without Christ, without growing up with Him is. And they, man, they appreciate some things that if you grow up in the church, you tend to lose your focus on. And look what it says about the last guy that, that comes back. It says, um, let, me, let me get in the verse. It says, um, we're not all ten cleansed. Where are the other nine? Uh, and 18 was, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner. Jesus even says, hey, is the only one, is the guy who's outside the group, outside the church, he's the only guy to, to come back? And he says this phrase, that he said to him, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And I want you to, to see something in there. You know, for the, for the ten, when they, when, when they go, Cure us. He physically cures them. They are healed from the disease that they had. But for this one guy that comes back thanking and praising God, who's not complacent, but who's committed, he says that your faith has made you well. And he's not talking about a physical wellness, because that's already been done. He has no need for a physical wellness when God has changed him and transformed him, but he has made him well spiritually in a way that cannot be seen by men. While while the nine were were healed, they're, they're still lost. The one that came back that was not complacent but committed, he he says, Your faith has made you well. He's not talking about his body, but he's talking about his soul. And what's sad about the story is there's nine that missed it. Mine that get, nine that got a, a nice feeling for a while, and then they missed out on the eternal aspect of it. Remember where you've come. Uh, know that the road is lonely. <clears throat> and there's a third point, but you don't have to turn to Luke chapter 14. So turn back just a couple chapters. Because we're talking about complacency and commitment. And my first point is remember your lostness, or remember where you've come. Second is know that the road is lonely. You might be alone. You may have to stand up all by yourself for Christ. You may be the only one of your friends that does it. And let me encourage you, do it. Let me encourage you, if you feel alone, come talk to me. I'm not going to go yell at your friends. I'm going to pray harder for you. I'm going to encourage you whenever I see, I see you. Find someone to encourage you if you feel like, man, I'm sort of out this. I don't know if I can stay up all my... You're not alone. There's a lot of people that are fighting for for you in that way. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. says, this time, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said... Okay, it says, large crowds were following Jesus. Stay in verse 25 for me. Okay, Jesus is about to do something here that is um, against every church growth strategy book that's ever been written. He and, and throughout everything that he will teach, he always te- he'll teach stuff that disperses the crowd. 
He'll get a large crowd, a huge crowd, and the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, he says, um, hey, get the plank out of your own eye before you get the speck out of someone else's eye. He says, hey, if you don't want to commit adultery, don't even lust at a woman. It doesn't, doesn't matter if you do the act. It, it, it does matter if you do the act even in your head or even in your thoughts. It's just as bad. He says, to hate is like murder, mur- 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 so don't do it. When he gets a big crowd, all of a sudden he takes the bar of how the Ten Commandments and how we're supposed to live, and he goes, okay, this is how you're supposed to live. Here. And he raises it up, and the crowd's always like, what? Are you kidding? And the crowd disperses. Every time the crowd disperses, a few stick, but the crowd disperses. Look here in verse 26 now. It says this, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brother and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. That's not hate like when you walk in the room and go, I hate you! Biblical! I spit on you! Don't do that. But it means that your love for God and your love for Christ is so great that everything in this world, it just falls down in comparison to it. It just falls down. But it's still harsh, strong statement. What? You mean, I know God, you call me to love my wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. I'm supposed to love her with everything I have, but I'm supposed to love you so much that even that looks sort of just like dirt against the wall. It's just, it's not important. That's what, he, he raises the bar. So the question is, complacency or commitment, where are you at? And the problem is this. Some of you go, well, I'm sort of in between. I'm sort of in between complacent. I'm not really complacent. I'm just sort of right here under complacent or something. And you try to make, there's no in between. There, there's none. Commitment is, is, is here. Following Christ on the very edge. That's the only place where commitment is. Everything behind this line is, line is complacently. Complacently? Complacentness. Whatever. It's not following Him. You either follow Him or you don't. And most are like, well, I'm doing pr- pretty good. I'm doing better. It's, he doesn't ask for better. He asks for all. He wants every bit of you. I want you to watch this video talking about be- belief by Fr- Francis Chan. Make, make sure, David, we've we got sound on the computer. I want to tell you the stupidest thing I ever did in my church. Okay, 16 years as a pastor. Stupidest thing. Um... But it was a good illustration. I, uh, I brought this little balloon, right? Probably about this size, you know, into service. And, and I taped it to, you know, like where that curtain is. I taped this little balloon to, to, uh, to a wall there. And I, and I had a BB gun with me. And I said, I said hey, how many of you guys believe that I'm gonna, I, I can hit that balloon on the first shot? And about 75% of the people raised their hand. I'm like, thank you. Thank you. You believe in me. Then I said, how many of you believe so much that you're willing to hold the balloon in your hand? And there were still like 10, 20 people still had their hands up. I'm like, wow, thank you. That's some confidence. There's some belief. And then I said, okay, is anyone here willing to hold the balloon between his teeth? And there were two people still had their hands up. And so I thought this might happen, so I, I, I said, hey, I told one of the guys, go, come on up here. And I was just going to scare him, you know, and I had this medical release form, you know, saying, okay, I'm not liable, you got to sign right here. And I go, okay, stand over there and put the balloon, the balloon between your teeth. And so he does, he's just standing sideways like this. And I thought, I can't believe it. 
So I just wanted to scare him. You know, I just want to scare this guy so bad. So I picked up the gun, and he's still standing there. And then I thought, I can hit that. <laughs> and I pulled the trigger, and I hit the balloon. And I thought everyone was going to clap, but the whole church is like, you're so stupid. <laughs> you know, I had these lawyers, everyone else coming up to me afterwards, like, do you know we could have lost the whole church? I go, but I hit it, you know? And, and, and I was so dumb, please, no one ever do that. Stupidest thing I've ever done. But my point was this, my point to the church was, how many believers were in the room at that point? Was it the 75% that raised their hand and said, oh, we believe? Was it the, the 20 people that said, yeah, I'll hold it in my hand? I mean, how many true believers were in that room? Or was it just that one guy that stuck it between his teeth? See, when I read the Bible, yes, it does say that God so loved the world that, that, that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. It does say that anyone who truly believes in Jesus is going to go to heaven. The question is, is what does it mean to believe? Is it those of you who raised your hand during a prayer and said, yeah, yeah, I think so. Is it those of you who get baptized and take it a step? Or is it those that are willing to stick this thing between your teeth? And you go, you know what, Jesus, I'll die for you. I'll speak up for you. I'll live for you. I am not going to, I am not going to, I'm not going to deny you on this earth. I'm going to follow you to the end, no matter what it means. It's the person who sticks this, sticks this thing between his teeth. All right. Don't worry, we're not going to try that here live. That is funny when you hear he shot. I was like, oh, dear Lord. Um. Verse 27, where we're at in, in, in Luke 14, says, uh, And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Just a question, just a thought. Uh, we use the phrase, you know, if you've been in church any of my time, you're like, yeah, man, t- take up your cross, t- take up your cross. Uh, but do we mean it? I mean, do we understand cross is a tool of death? It's giving your life up. Maybe giving parts of your life up or all of your life up. If we believe the Bible to be real and God's love to be real, um, are we drawn to action? Are we the person that will take the balloon and stick it in our mouth and go, okay, I trust you. I I believe. Are we that? Because if we are, and this is sort of a, a funny thing to say, but say that Jesus all of a sudden walked in the back door right there. Said, hey guys, had holes in hand, white robe or whatever, white robe, long brown hair, like they're always pictured. I'm kidding you, I don't know what he looked like. He comes in and goes, hey, um, I've got my cross, I've got y'all's too. Who's going to come with me right now? Uh, and uh, we're just going to go hike down, minor, go down A1A, uh, past Walmart and Paul Clark Ford. We're going to find like a marshy spot and we're going to put the cross and we're going to die. You go, well, that's. Absurd. Who's who's going to fo- to follow that? Who's going to do that? But can I, I, t- I, I tell you, Christianity is absurd. He he. When it says, "Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple," do you understand that that's what it's it's calling you to do? Do you understand without 
Christ, we are so lost. We are so without hope. And hell is so bad. I can't even begin to describe what it's like and the pain and the agony that you endure. I don't know how you cope with in, in hell. And so understanding of what He has saved us from, we ought to go, man, I'll, I'll do anything. That's how people around the world, Christians around the world, some of them are dying for their faith even today. It's not in the news. They're not getting big names. You're not going, oh, I want to be like that guy. Because news is never going to write about them. But they're dying for their faith. Their kids are dying for, you know, they, them and their kids are dying because they want the name of Christ to be shared around the world. I want you to understand something about Christianity, and we're going to be talking about this all fall, is that there's a huge cost to it. It's not come here to our church, because we are glad. I mean, I'm thrilled that you're here, and I want you to understand the love of Christ above everything else. I want you to understand your losses, your, your, your need for Him, and I want Him to touch your heart and change your life. That is the greatest thing. But I want you to, to, to live it out. I want you to understand that it costs, it's hard, it's not going to be easy. The odds are you won't be rich because you became a Christian. Folks aren't going to pat you on the back all day long. Oh, that's so great. That's awesome. Yeah, you won't go, go to school. They won't cheer. They won't have a parade for you. They won't put you in a car and like the homecoming parade and you wave everybody. Nothing's happening. It's, gonna, it's more bad. It's going to cost you. It's going to hurt. Verse 28 goes on. We're sort of going to wrap things up right around here. It says, suppose one of you wants to build a... A tower, will he not first sit down and estimate the cost? See if he has enough money to complete it. For if he lays down the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish it. If you're going to build a house, you're going to build, build something, you're going to make sure you can afford to build it. You can make sure you can get the supplies to do it, you, that you can do it. If not, you're a fool. You're, you're going to try to, oh, you're a fool. Look what it says in verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Do you understand that there is a great cost? And even some of you in this room right now, you need to go, okay, I need to consider what the cost is for my life. Because for me to be not be complacent and live a, a wasted life, because a complacent life is a wasted life. It, it, it's just a waste. It's not going to amount to anything. At the end, they're going to die. It's going to burn up. There's going to be nothing of worth in it. Everything that has been acquired, you might say, well, they got a lot of stuff. Well, it's just going to pass on to... Their kids or the next folks or some estate sales, it'll be gone. Complacent life or a committed life says, I'm going to seek for you. But I want you to make sure you, you, you think about it. You go, okay, is this worth it tonight? If you were going to go out to eat, you're going to make sure you've got enough money to pay for it. Well, some of you I know don't it's because you mooch a lot. But most of you, you're going to make sure that you can afford it. Um, We need to quit letting church be like we're in a football game. We're on the first string. We're getting a start. Football's about to start. I'm excited about that. We're in a fo football game. We're actually going to play. We come out. The qu quarterback gets us in the hut, 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 huddle. He begins to tell us to play. We're like, yeah, baby. Yeah, I am so into this. And then when he says break or whatever, and you're supposed to get up on the line, 
Everybody runs to the sideline. They sit on the bench. Ref sitting back there staring at the people. The QB is like, no one's there to hike, hike in the ball. After the certain time goes up, the ref throws the flag. He blows the time dead. You on the bench, you run back on the field. What's the next play, coach? Because can I tell you, that's what you do every week when you come to church. And you just hear the play. You hear what you're supposed to do. You hear what life's supposed to be like. And when you're supposed to get down and actually do the play, you run back to the bench. And you come back as excited as you were. Yeah! Church, God, Jesus, woo! I don't know what that was. That was just a gift. But there's so much more to it. Remember where you came from. Understand that the road that you walk is, is lonely at times. It will, everybody, if you follow Christ, there's going to be times that it's lonely. Guarantee it. And there's great cost. Great cost. But the reward is not that you're just healed on the outside, but you're healed on the inside. And we can't get that any other way. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, help us not to be complacent. Lord, just help me, just even on what I taught, for your truth to be clear, your word to be clear. And forgive me for where I fall short. And Lord, help us to understand of what you've done for us. How we do not deserve your grace and your love and your mercy. But you gave it to us. Help us to understand that to be committed to you, it's going to hurt. We will be lonely at times. We'll be alone at times. We'll be the only one who walks towards you. Give us the strength to take one foot after the other and follow. And Lord, help us to understand that the cost is, though the cost is great and it may cost us everything we have or everything we could ever want, understand that this world is just going to burn away and you will remain in your good works and your good name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, that's all we got for tonight. Make sure you sign up for small groups if you're going to be a part of small groups on the table right there before you go.